And first and now is back. It's our great pleasure to once again be with you. Matt Baker alongside Nick Kowalski, fresh off a of bio week, back, ready to strap on the pads and the helmet and and hit somebody in double blue. Uh, we're broadcasting from the Go Goat Sports Studio inside the Wall Center. Nick, you're looking refreshed and ready to roll here. How was the bye week? Yeah, I'm ready to roll. I, I, I'm not going to be hitting anybody in double blue this week. Uh, well, not. Don't jump to conclusions now. <laughs> good point. Um, but yeah, it was good. Good bye week. Got some exploring in. Uh, was still in the office uh, majority of days and uh, got filmed a bunch of content for the remainder of the season, which is. Uh, Kind of some pressure off my shoulders, which is nice, and um, ready to get back at it now. Yeah, for those that, you know, every once in a while we get asked for, uh, by fans, people just inter- interested in what we do for the organization and, you know, what goes into planning a game from a game ops and a mm. content perspective. It's not just show up to the stadium and, oh, do this, do this, do this. You know, in the case of yourself, I mean, both of us, really, we work closely with game operations and, a lot of times the bye week is an opportunity to work ahead on some of that stuff. So some of those video features you might see, say, September 30th when Ottawa's in town. Yes. You will have shot last week, and that's already in the can, as they say. So. Exactly, yeah, because majority of players did stick around. I know we had, like, but some some, some went back home. For example, uh, Brian Burnham, uh, we have to film some of his content uh, in the next week or so because he went back home to Tulsa for right. his bye week Uh Bola Cumbo went to Montreal, and I know I know Lucky got out of town for a bit, but um, the Nathan Rourke's, the Javon Katoys, pretty much the local guys, and uh, maybe the first year players too. They most of them stuck around for the week, right? Yeah, some of those younger guys, maybe those not as familiar with the city, you know, use the opportunity to to lay down some living arrangements. We talked to James Butler last week, and he was getting ready to explore some. Some landmark spots, some sightseeing spots. He was going up to the suspension bridge, I think. And mm-hmm. reminder, you can listen to the James Butler episode from last week and all the first and now episodes, perhaps, if you if you like, at whatever podcast platform you choose, the Go Goat Sports website as well. And uh, Lions and Argonauts coming up here Saturday. We are going to tee that matchup up. We'll talk about the opposition uh, in just a few minutes. We'll go around the CFL, tell you what... <laughs> Couple of interesting results. Oh yeah! But uh, you, um, you had the chance to do some sightseeing yourself. It wasn't all bi week work for you. Yeah, the weekend I did take off pretty much completely. So uh, on Saturday, I, me and uh, a high school friend I have here, and he actually lives in Surrey, so very convenient for me. But um, there you we, go. We've been planning this for a couple months now, just based off the bi week, uh, just how it worked out. Uh, it worked out for him as well. So we went up to Squamish on Saturday and. Uh, did the, the chief trail. Yep. Uh, I believe that's what you call it. Yeah. And that, it was a challenging hike. It, uh, I'm, being a Winnipeg guy, it, it was definitely no Manitoba hike with the elevation and no mountains in yeah, Manitoba. Yeah. To do some like, like pretty much a rock climbing at the end too. That was a little bit intense and, uh, climb a ladder at some point. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was a good hike. And then I, I did Stanley park on Sunday and kept it uh, more local here and just two awesome and different experiences. But, uh, the legs are, the legs are a little sore today. You, uh, yeah, you're you're slowly but surely coming a full fledged West Coast guy. Yeah, getting okay. everything in. You went to Commercial Drive on Saturday night. Yeah, I think, another and... thing. Yeah, yeah, I went out to a couple of restaurants down there. Uh, just this this city is. I, w- I always think about this Rick Campbell when we were interviewing him on the very first episode of of uh, First and Now that for this season. Yeah. But Rick said the thing I say about Vancouver is that thirty minutes any direction is something totally different there's water mountains uh 30 minutes uh east would be like farmland and like yep. abbotsford and then well, you saw that when you went to kamloops just how much the the landscape changes so yeah. to speak so. and it's so true and it's it's so good to have yep and uh next thing you got to do you got to get on the gross grind yeah, yeah you you've been telling me about it because you you hit it up what twice and well tw- twice last week right so i'll tell you what happened it was yeah it was not my intention to go twice my intention was <laughs> just to go once just to kind of test out the water so to speak uh you know before i was in this job back when i was back at tsn slash team 1040 i did a long stint on the afternoon so summertime before i had kids what better way to go stay in shape and, and do something before we go to the grouse grind? I, I did it several times uh, over the course of a few summers, but, you know, slowly but surely, responsibilities change. Don't live quite as close to the North Shore anymore as I did then. 
Uh, as you can probably tell watching this podcast, the dad bod's a real thing. Not quite in the shape I once was. You know, who is, right? Other than yourself and maybe Kurt Appleby there in the in the control room. He's, he's still in pretty good shape. Don't, don't short yourself. <laughs> well, I'm, if, you, if you can do the gross grind twice in four days. And I, I, I surprised myself. I, I was not any worse than I was at it last year. I did it a few times. But anyway, my intention was just to go once. Okay, middle of the week, Wednesday, bye week. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, okay, $20 to park. $8, sorry, $8 to park, $20 to take the gondola down. Used yeah. to be mostly free parking. It's all paid parking now. And the gondola in a span of 10 years, 12 years, whenever I started doing it, has gone gradually up. It was $5 at one point. Then it went to 10 Then it went to 15 And I was like, 20 bucks. Come on. So the young lady uh, selling the Skyride tickets up at the top, so I do the hike. It's all good. The young lady reminds me, oh, if you want to get a a season membership, which is what I used to do when I was doing it three, four times a week, maybe not three, four times a week, maybe, <laughs> maybe twice. But she used to say, she said to me, oh, you know, if you want to get the annual pass, you put, it, it includes your parking and your sky ride. So yeah. you can basically put 28 bucks toward it. And then, so I'm doing the math. Okay. Two, so the, the pass is 249 minus 28. So divided by whatever. Carry the one, carry the two, whatever. Um, if I do this eight, if I do this nine times, nine more times in the next year, it'll pay itself off because mm-hmm. the year-long pass includes your sky ride and your parking, and there's other perks like merchandise discounts and the Starbucks. You get a bit of a discount, even though it's a more expensive Starbucks. So you spend you you essentially get Starbucks for the regular price, like if we were out on Burrard Street here, just a block away or something. But anyway. So I figured out, so I caved and bought the membership. So, okay, put the $28 toward it, and then, okay, might as well do it as much as I can. So get the hall pass on Saturday morning and go do it and improve my time by, I think, two and a half minutes. So it ended up being a wise investment so far. I got to do it seven or eight more times in the next year, and I'll get my money's mm. worth. Yeah, so what you're saying is that if uh, if fans want to bring their pen and paper for autographs, the Girl's Grand is where to find you, right? <laughs> is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, there you go. Do people still sign autographs? Do people yeah. still ask for autographs, or is it all about selfies now? I saw Bolo Combo signing something today. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the fans that show up at practice definitely want autographs. So mm-hmm. Anyway, the first of three bye weeks, yes. Uh, we're going to have another one here coming up, and I think, I think we play two more times, three more times. Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg. Winnipeg. So, yeah, two buys in the first five weeks, uh, which is fine. I mean, we'll get refreshed and healthy for the second half of the season, so there'll be some more chances to to do some activities. But uh, Lions and Argos here on Saturday, and this is funny. Two teams that are 1-0. Yeah. One of them, that would be us, in fourth place in the West. Toronto, by virtue of the other Eastern teams being 0-2, and we'll go around the CFL before we're done here, Toronto in first place. So what's your most intriguing aspect for this game here, Nick? I think off the top, um, we've heard a lot of chatter about the BC offensive line uh, that performed, I think, above standards last week, or in week one against Edmonton. Right. And granted, it was the Elks. um, Maybe the talent level for the Elks, uh, you could say, is probably not where Toronto's talent level at, at the defensive line position is. Um, because Toronto's got the likes of Sean Oakman, Shane Ray, Ja'Garrett Davis on that mm-hmm. defensive line. And um, the average CFL fan may not even know who Shane Ray is, but he is—he was a first-round NFL draft pick, uh, was with Toronto last year, and all, all reports out of the Argos camps was that Shane Ray is dominating. He is going to be a force. And then he had trouble staying healthy last year. But when he was in the lineup, I, I want to say he only played a handful of games. There were, there were a couple players like that last year that, like Braylon Addison's one that comes to mind too, right? Played like sure. three games, but uh, you know that he's like an elite level talent when he's on the field. And Shane Ray was healthy last week, and um, I want to say he recorded the sack. I'm, I can't guarantee that right now, but I know we looked, he looked good. Sure had one of those guys I'm had one. I'm pretty sure yeah. he had one, yeah. And then Sean Oakman is really the Willie Jefferson uh, inside the defensive line. He plays tackle, but he's like six foot eight kind of a, a freakish athletic body that um, really can have his way with people. So it'll be a great test for the BC offensive line on Saturday. And if they perform up to the same standard, I think 
any worry that there was from outside sources going into the season. I think that's almost all but eliminated, correct? Yeah, and you know this offensive line for the Lions was absolutely dynamite against yeah. uh, Edmonton and allowing Rourke time to throw and a couple of those plays that got a little dicey. I mean, we saw what it's like now to have a quarterback who can make more plays with his feet, but... Yeah, I mean, James Butler in the running game silenced their critics there. I mean, we had mm-hmm. James on last week again talking about the four touchdowns and uh, eclipsing the century mark in terms of rushing. You know, we hadn't had that happen in years for Lions tailbacks. But those Toronto D linemen you mentioned, you know, the the stat sheet may not jump out. They might not be getting to the quarterback as consistently, but they're good run stoppers. So they're going to plug those holes and they're going to penetrate and they're going to they're going to do what they can to limit the Lions and their yeah. mobile offense. So this will be a nice little follow-up test for that Lions running game led by James Butler. So that's going to be a very interesting aspect for me. The trenches, the line of scrimmage. I know it seems like we always talk about it, but that's going to be extra important here mm-hmm. this game and we're going to talk a bit about Nathan Rourke on this episode as well, but I'm interested to see where he picks up here. I mean, uh, clearly that's a guy who's not celebrating anything yet. Uh, we know he's all business, and and we he, we know he knows uh, more than anyone else. It's a different challenge. It's a new season in a sense, uh, each game, each week. So they're not celebrating. That game's over. It was great, but that's over now. you got to mm-hmm. go out and prove yourself against a team that, again, a couple plays go differently against Hamilton in the Eastern Final. It's Toronto that's in the Grey Cup against Winnipeg, not the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I'm not discrediting Hamilton, but this is a Toronto team that no doubt, um, kind of for the first time in a few years, went into a season knowing who their quarterback was going to be, McLeod Bethel-Thompson. They really finally proclaimed him the guy. And, uh, you know, I thought their win against Montreal, we'll go over it later, but I I thought that game was not as close as the score indicated. So this is a Toronto team who has championship expectations this year. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier that it's it's going to be a good measuring stick because Toronto was really where they left off, and that's the top of the Eastern Division. And like you yeah. just said, a team that was a couple plays away, they, they, it was a, they're a blown lead away from the Grey Cup last season. Yeah. So um, another interesting tidbit uh, that I find about this game, so... The Argos, another one of the, the players that I think he was he was named an All Star last year, and I think for really good reason, uh, was Chris Edwards, their uh, their Sam linebacker. Right. Um, but he will not be playing on Saturday because he, he received a suspension at the end of uh, of last season that uh, carried over into uh, I, think, I believe the first six games actually of 2022. But instead of um, Chris Edwards at that Sam position, it is Robert Priester, and um, mm-hmm. that's not a household name in the CFL yet. But what I find really interesting about this is he's pretty much. Toronto's version of Ty Neal Cooper for us. Right. And what I mean by that is that um, Robert Priester was with Winnipeg for a couple games in 2018, had not played in the CFL since, and started in week two for Toronto in 2022. So four years later was his next game in the CFL. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 20, 2018 was Ty Neal Cooper's year with that's Winnipeg right. too. Yeah. So it's just, it's it a, is funny. It's, a, it's just a weird unrelated well they're related but unrelated in how these these two uh players got to where they are and and their uh, current football career so it's another uh interesting fact about this game and then he's beside Hinoch Moamba and uh who's been a star in the CFL for years and um Winton McManus is back in the CFL too and uh he's their will linebacker this season and he looked really good uh last week for those who don't know who McManus is he was with Calgary a couple of seasons ago uh, turned that into an NFL uh, opportunity with New Orleans and is now back up in Canada. Yeah, and uh, Corey Mace is the one coordinating it all. Uh, the pride of Coquitlam, a former Buffalo Bill, former Calgary Stampeder, good uh, defensive position coach with the Stamps, and and now he's there. So, yeah, um, I'm not trying to sell this Lions offense short, but I don't think they're going to be putting up over a 50-burger this week. But hey, we'll see. this game is funny. So, Speaking of that, speaking of putting up points, Nathan Rourke, we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to talk to Lucas Moore. Um, This is a guy who um, has a familiarity with Nathan from his time with the Ohio Bobcats. Lucas, a broadcaster in Ohio, a former classmate of Nathan Rourke. So we're going to get him on to kind of reminisce about Nathan's time with the Bobcats and and some fun that Lucas used to have uh, talking about the Nathan Rourke fan club. Yeah, we were exchanging some uh, Twitter DMs earlier in the week, um, 
and he he was going in depth about uh, what he he's he's obviously still following Nathan, and he said like he he said that Nathan's week one performance was just what he was doing at Ohio, like using his feet, um, throwing the ball too, and being accurate and poised in the pocket and all of that, but also like just bouncing off people. He's, he 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 has a th- I'm gonna ask him about it uh, for for when we're actually recording, but he has this theory about how Nathan uses his body when he's going up against defenders and <laughs> um, really in depth stuff about Nathan Rourke. So I'm looking forward yeah, to chatting with Lucas here. Awesome. Uh, we look forward to that here coming up in just a matter of seconds. Uh, we'll go around the CFL. A couple more intriguing matchups in week number three. It's the Lions. It's the Argos Saturday. Get your tickets starting at just $25. The Backyard Street Party is back, but on Terry Fox Plaza this time, not on Robson Street, you can enjoy some $5 beers, $5 margaritas. I don't know, Nick, we might have to sneak out and and get a couple of pregame beverages in before we start our work. So, um, again, tough act to follow from the season kickoff, but uh, all all the Lions can control is what they do on the field and We'll get some more fans excited to come back. First and now, the official BC Lions podcast. We'll head to Ohio, coming up. First and now, the official BC Lions podcast uh, is live. Uh, It's Matt Baker. It's Nick Kowalski inside the Wall Center at the Go Goat Sports Studios. Outstanding uh, studio here at the Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. And uh, we're going to venture off to Chicago now, I believe. Uh, Lucas Moore, host of the 3AM Coney podcast. Uh, He does a little bit of play-by-play, all kinds of broadcasting uh, gigs for Lucas. Uh, A former Ohio Bobcat attended the school when one Nathan Rourke was there, uh, setting all kinds of football records. So if there was a Nathan Rourke fan club, I think Lucas Moore here would be um, a card-carrying member. Uh, Lucas, good of you to join us, sir. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm super thrilled. I tweeted out, hey, I need to get on. Uh, I know there's CFL podcasts out there because I obviously tuned in to watch my guy, Nathan Rourke, and you guys, Nick, reached out. And I was super happy that he did because I'm able to talk Nathan Rourke again. I thought I had lost the traction on that when he went up to the CFL um, when I thought he had a chance to maybe make the back end of an NFL roster. Um, So to be able to talk him again, I'm really grateful for it because he gave me quite a few fun segments and arguments and moments while at Ohio University. Well, any friend of Nathan Rourke is certainly a friend of ours, and uh, we appreciate you making the time. So why don't we... uh... Let's go back uh, there in a few years uh, to the campus at Ohio. How did uh, your friendship and your relationship, so to speak, with Nathan start there, Lucas? Well, I don't think Nathan would ever call me a, a friend. I think he might remember me. We've had a <laughs> we've had a few conversations and we've done a few interviews. I've interviewed him in studio. I've interviewed him on the field. Um, I've interviewed him after games and post game press conferences. So he might remember the face. Um, but my biggest moment in memory with Nathan Rourke was I was the only reporter. Me and my buddy, Russ Heltman, who does radio in Cincinnati, and Jason Arkley, who covers the Bobcats still today. He was a working professional at the time. Russ and I were upperclassmen students. And we went to watch Nathan Rourke's first training camp practice. And it took me 15, 20 minutes of watching him and going, man, I think this kid's got something special. I liked his tape coming out of Fort Scott Community College. And he had bad stats, but he had a horrible offensive line. And I really liked the potential that Nathan Rourke showed in that film. And I thought quarterback was a need for the Bobcats after Quentin Maxwell had a so-so performance, got replaced by Greg Windham in the MAC championship game the year before. So I went down on the field and everybody was busy talking to Quentin Maxwell, who the whole world expected to be the starter. And I went over and I made sure that I talked to Nathan Rourke and it took the 10 minutes of that conversation of talking to him to realize that this was a deathly serious person, a very, very serious football person that was not here to play school or go to parties. He was here to be the best football player he could possibly be. And this was back when he was a sophomore. And just that amount of focus and realism that came off in my very first interaction with him, it made me go out on the radio that day and say, hey, Nathan Rourke is the player to watch this year. Well, he had 22 rushing touchdowns that season. So, and he ended up taking the starting job by week two. 
And and I didn't really get the on-field stuff. Yeah, it was great. I think it was better than Quentin. Um, and much respect to Quentin, who had some success at lower levels of college football. But it was the attitude. It was the professionalism. And that's why I always knew he would be at some professional level. And I figured with him being Canadian, the CFL would be a perfect fit. And it's turning into that for him. Because he's dedicated his entire existence to being the best quarterback possible. And when you get somebody like that that has the natural talent he has, you just get constant improvement and you get a player like you've seen so far. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, it's a guy who's sharp in the mind is probably his most impressive trait. That's something you need when you're when you're the starting quarterback, whether that's in college or in the pros. But yeah, you mentioned the MAC championships. Uh, with the Bobcats, it was also three straight bowl game wins. I think he was MVP of the uh, famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I mean, what did he do for the Bobcats, uh, Lucas, in terms of kind of reestablishing a winning standard for that program? Well, I think that your quarterback, well, one, Frank Solich is a legendary two-quarterback system coach. And I don't know whether he got that from Nebraska or whether there just wasn't enough talent at Ohio. But it was Tyler Tettleton was the main starter, and then he would do this two-starter thing every year. And it looked like he wanted to do that with Quentin Maxwell. And Nathan Rourke ripped the job from him and made, made it to where Frank had no choice. But even during Nathan's junior year, he sat down Nathan against Howard, I believe, where Cam Newton's little brother was playing quarterback. And they actually benched him in that game. He ended up starting the whole season. But he always played with that two-quarterback system. And to have a guy that can win the job with that type of coaching and not just be you know, a starting quarterback, the starting quarterback, you know, almost a franchise guy, as we would say when we cover the NFL, that's what Nathan Rourke became. So you had consistency in practice. You had consistency in the team's makeup and the leadership model. And I think all of that led to a lot of success. But really the main part of Nathan Rourke that led to Ohio's success was his ability to generate offense because of his smarts and because of his escapability left to right on the read option. Because the read option was so deadly with the ball in Nathan Rourke's hands that allowed A.J. Oled, who's now in the CFL, and numerous other running backs have career moments and years with Nathan Rourke under center. And it was, it was a combination of the talent and the professionalism. But I really do believe that it was just the perfect fit at the perfect time. This guy, this guy can run our system better than we could have ever imagined it being run. And we, you saw that immediately in the offensive production before the leadership factors even set in for Nathan Rourke. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucas, you and you and I, we were talking on Twitter beforehand a bit. And um, one thing that there's a bunch of things that really stood out uh, when we were having our conversations. But one thing in particular uh, that you mentioned about Nathan's game that I found fascinating was uh, your theory about how he approaches uh, yeah. contact. Uh, can you just uh, go into more detail about uh, what you're telling me there? Yeah. So there's an old radio segment on uh, Sports Beat WOUB that I did with Nathan where I threw this theory at him and he kind of laughed at it and said, well, maybe I haven't really thought about it. But that's kind of what makes Nathan Rourke so so dangerous, is that he doesn't think about getting hit. So BC fans, just go out there, rewatch the last game. There were a few plays that had happened. And it's when he's running, not directly left-right, but at an angle, right? Upfield and moving towards the sideline. Guys will attack him at a side angle. And it instead of him getting hit and moving left or right, it's almost like the player slides off of him. I've never really seen it before in the sport of football, especially at the collegiate level when I was watching it in the MAC. And it's because when you watch Nathan Rourke run, I never see him brace for a hit. And they say this about car accidents to where, hey, if you're about to be in a car accident, the best thing to do would be to be would be to relax every muscle in your body. And they've done studies where people in plane crashes that were asleep tend to have less injuries than everybody that was tensing up their whole body and flexing everything. And Nathan kind of does that on the football field where you'll see most guys brace for hits and then the contact kind of gets absorbed into their body and then into the ground. Nathan just doesn't worry about getting hit. He keeps running. He keeps a good tight hold of the football. He keeps his feet moving. And that causes guys, it looks like it doesn't, they're not even impacting his movement they just slide right off of him and he's done it to big guys and he especially does it all the time to defensive backs but it's one of the most unique skills I've ever seen and he picks up two or three extra yards per carry because of that short space agility and make people miss ability and that 
generate so much more in your running game if you're able to get three more yards per carry from your starting quarterback. And I think we saw how much commitment that Edmonton had to make against BC in the last game to Nathan Rourke in the run game, and it opened up James Butler to run wild on everybody. And, and mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff we saw mm-hmm. all the time at OU. The 59 points, the not being able to stop the running back, the heavy quarterback rushing numbers, that's all that happened at Ohio University against all type of competition. That's why when I saw the stat line and went back and, and rewatched the game, it looked just like OU, except you guys in the CFL have a wider field, which only helps in this type of offense and with this type of player. So I really do think that it might not be 59 every week, but there's going to be a lot of points scored over in Vancouver. Yeah, that's a super fascinating mm-hmm. breakdown. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that stood out to me was uh, it, was a, it was a simpler comment, but you said he is throwing the ball harder than ever. Uh, and I've, uh, in the offseason, I, I had the pleasure of um, filming Nathan uh, during during some of his, uh, he's, he works out in um, in North Vancouver with the quarterback uh, kinesiologist coach uh, Rob Williams. And that's what I saw too. I, I would watch him throw the ball and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is not a normal quarterback throwing. Like, it's it's hard and it's consistent and he's very like particular about how he throws the ball. So I'll transition this question into um you 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 saw that he was throwing the ball harder from your observations. Um, but also how how much like I, I'm even interested to figure, uh, find out like how close are you following the CFL? Is it I'm imagining it's more because of Nathan Rourke or or what did you even know about the CFL before uh, before Nathan arrived? I mean, I am I'm a sports broadcaster, so you know I know that it's the Great Cup. I know you guys play on a wider field. The goalposts are in the front. I know the general history of the league. I could maybe have named a few teams um, in the CFL, mm-hmm. and then if there's great players or great highlights, I mean, I try to have it on my Twitter feed at all times. But outside of that, you know, Nathan Rourke, that BC game was the first. Okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this game, and. And I really do enjoy what the product is. Um, but my my when you mentioned Nathan Rourke and his ability to throw the football, you know, if you're looking for a comparison to other CFL quarterbacks, it's 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 not even in comparison to the rest of the league. It's how close I thought Nathan was to being an NFL player in college and the things that I needed to see him do to get there, he's done. And I think that if he were the level of talent he is right now and you put him right back into OU and put him back in the draft cycle or you put him in a worse draft class, he could have ended up being a six-round pick in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of where I'm at with Nathan is you've got this – he's a native Canadian, so this league is a perfect fit for him. I think he's more marketable up there. And it's going to get to the point where I think he's going to produce so much statistically with you guys that he's going to get NFL interest and there's going to be a real conversation piece of – okay, where's my career better served? Um, I, you know, that's a conversation that's way far off. But I know that Nathan has the mindset, the makeup, and with the velocity that he's added on these throws, I mean, if he just shows some layering, some progression, I, there's, there's a real chance that he's getting interest um, from a lot of places because of how much of a professional he is. And, you know, his explosiveness moving side to side. If he's making people miss in the NCAA, and then he goes to the CFL and he keeps making people miss, somebody's going to take a shot on him that he can make NFL DBs miss. And if he can do that on the read option, there's a lot of NFL offenses that could use him. So I know that that wasn't really your question. It's kind of where I took it there, Nick. But No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Something funny, too. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Nathan, uh, we we had him on the podcast about about two months ago, actually, and um, I was Googling – just as I do in, in terms of prep, I was just looking up uh, some of some, some of the articles I written about him, and he had a he had a he had an NFL uh, workout with uh, the New York Giants, but as a wide receiver. Mm. So he was going up with like Kadarius Tony, and uh, Nathan said it wasn't unfortunately what he wanted. Uh, obviously, being a quarterback, but uh, he he the, the NFL has seen his I guess his his physical um, uh, attributes and saw that as NFL potential. So, and it's obviously the goal is. To, to go to the, in, in the and if you're playing professional football, you do want to be an NFL player, and we're not oh, yeah. gonna beat around the bush and say that. But yeah, it's like Nate, that that is a it's a it's an interesting problem to have if you have superstar players in the CFL that uh, the NFL could potentially uh, take them and and whatnot. It's, and it goes back into drafting too, right? Um, well, yeah, but, I think this Nathan's because you guys have talked about and and you talked about in our in our message exchange the 
you know, rarity of a Canadian quarterback. Yes. And I just think that there's like, I, I feel like that. I don't know. Cause I've been, I've been exploring your guys' space, um, especially since I started talking to you um, and trying to find, okay, what's the reaction? Do people kind of like, are they mentioning or realizing what kind of just happened with Nathan Rourke? Do they realize what might happen to this league right now? And I don't see any of that. Now, maybe I'm just a crazy kid who saw them against a bad Edmonton team, and this is not what BC is going to look like. But when I've seen it before at other levels, at historically dominant paces, and I've seen them dispatch teams who are above 500, who are competing for them in the conference within a quarter and a half to where I'm standing on the sideline and the other team's completely given up by the time we're in the middle of the second quarter. I saw that routinely. So the fact that I see it again in a professional league and it's number 12 at quarterback, to me, that just is something that's going to keep happening. So, I, you know, his ceiling, I can't even describe to you guys because of the nature of Canadian football um, and because of just him as a person and knowing the guy and knowing the kid and knowing how much work he puts in. And if, you know, he had the opportunity to learn last year, now he's full-fledged, thrown into it, it's... It is special, and I think that that is something that BC Lions fans should get ready for. It, it might not be as easy as it was back in the MAC. I guarantee it won't be, but it's mm-hmm. certainly possible that he can produce week in, week out the way he did. And, you know, I, I think that it's more of he's also going to make your offense produce more. You know, there were so many games at Ohio where he'd have 12 passing attempts, but he would have 145 rushing yards, but his presence on the field would open things up so much so for everything, everybody else. Mm-hmm. You'd end up with 55 points. Like James Butler, yeah, what an amazing performance by him. But if you go back, it's one, I think it was his run to the right where he makes a man miss. Um, you know, there were so many touchdowns in the game, hard to remember which one. <laughs> but you watch Nathan giving that read option. And it's not that he tricks everybody, but he's so good with the handoffs and disguising all that that he will always fool. It's almost guaranteed 100% every time, and I've seen it so many times, he will fool one defender drastically on the play to where they are just completely lost and they ruin it for everybody else. Because when you're running wide zone, it's about gap assignments, baby. you got to stay in your lane. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, there's one play where Nathan is, I think James, James runs right. So Nathan fakes it. Um, Nathan goes left or whatever. But his fake, nobody's fooled by it on the line. But a linebacker comes down and you watch two Edmonton players take each other out because one guy went the wrong way because he was going after Rourke, even though he should have been going after Butler. And that will happen even if two guys don't take each other out. It's the hesitation step. It's the two steps left or two steps right from somebody in the second level or from somebody on the line that opens up these massive wide gaps in defenses that create chunk running plays. And then off those chunk running plays, you create space in the passing game, and it's it becomes impossible to stop. The only thing that can stop it is a singular disruptive defender. So a you know like an Aaron Donald type that's tossing yeah. tossing away mm-hmm. the guard, or a shutdown corner maybe taking away half of the field, you know things or a bad offensive line performance. Those things can ruin it. But if you've got everything clicking, and with his ability to make those decisions on the read option. It just becomes almost impossible to defend. Hey, Lucas, uh, this is all great stuff, but while we have you here for a couple more minutes, um, enlighten us a little bit on the work train. What was that all about? (laughs) Well, the work train was because, you know, from day one of camp, I was like, Nathan Rourke should be the starter. And I don't know why we're even messing around here. And that was kind of my opinion on it, and it was my opinion on the radio. Now, I might have been younger and just trying to plant a hot take flag, in the Ohio University sports talk universe. Um, but I genuinely believe that. This kid should be the starter. He provides more um, upward explosiveness for the offense. He's got a higher ceiling. And we just watched Quentin Maxwell throw the ball behind his own head in the MAC championship game. So do we really need to run this experiment again? And what the work train was, was me slowly convincing a lot of students that covered the team that he should be the starter. And so we had the Rourke train going every week. And then we had like the local beat reporter would come on. And I remember a very, very, I, you know, I think Jason Arkley does some of the best work in Southeast Ohio, but we had a very heated 
uh, Nathan Rourke or Quentin Maxwell debate on the air, which I don't really need to brag about now. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but I, that was what the Rourke train was. It was this, Hey, I know he's not as big as Quentin Maxwell and his arm doesn't look as great, but look how slippery he is. Nobody can tackle the guy. And okay, well, he doesn't look like he's super fast or super over the top. Is it's it's nothing that blows your mind, but it's the little things across the board that he does over and over and over again within the read option, within all those things that made us and me believe in him. And then getting to talk to him, and then I'd walk into the facility, fellas, and I'd I'd look into a room and there's a little light on. And in sitting there watching film at a time that nobody else is there is Nathan Rourke. Coaches aren't even there. Coaches aren't even there. And there he is watching film. And I, numerous times I would catch Nathan watching film um, and, and, or staying late. And I'd see him around that stadium all the time. You know, I'd be going up to have fun on our party street in Athens and I'd walk by the building and you'd see Nathan work on the field throwing. Like it was things like that over and over and over again to where he earned my trust as a sports commentator to plant my flag and, and have argument after argument after argument until he was the concrete starter. Um, because I remember they benched him in the second year and we had to restart the work train. You would think 22 rushing touchdowns would have killed that thing, but we had to have the argument again and then it was over and, mm. and it's all in the past. But that work train was this, it was definitely an Ohio thing where, a bunch of us just wanted to say, hey, we really want Nathan Rourke to be the starter, and we're going to keep yelling about it until he is. And breaking all the school records and stuff just made uh, the group of us that were on it look very very smart. And we're all still friends today, and I think the Rourke train has a lot to do with that. So I thank Nathan for uh, his success on the field bringing us together. Yeah, of course. And I just want to bring up one more point, too, that uh, I I was telling Matt this earlier. I was reading one of your messages out loud, and I said, Matt, does this sound familiar? And your message was, yeah, I would see him every day running in sprints after practice by himself because he still does that up in uh, up in BC here. Uh, we were at training camp in the pouring rain, and he was doing it by himself. He pretty much does it every practice. But, again, it's it's no days off for that guy. And uh, I see the same things you're seeing. That's why I, I was so intrigued to, to get you on here and uh, get all this, this fascinating uh, stuff that um, – you've been explaining to us it's really insightful very good yeah well also and and my final point on this is because i spent a lot of time because i was in athens i spent a lot of time covering joe burrow as well so and i want to say that there's a lot of similarities you know and a lot of the research and conversations i've had with joe's family and, and those close to him and studying what work ethic he had in high school and then the work ethic he had at lsu and then at the same time covering nathan rourke and the type of work ethic and things he has Here's the main similarity between Nathan Rourke and Joe Burrow. They stopped caring about other people's opinion on them a long time ago. And they, their work ethic does not come from a need to prove other people wrong. They decided a long time ago, Nathan Rourke and Joe Burrow, that they're going to be the best quarterback that their body allows them to be. And nothing will stop them from that goal. And wherever they end up, whether it be the Canadian Football League or the, the Super Bowl Parade, wherever that may end up, that's where they're going to go. But they decided for themselves, because they had been so doubted. I mean, Nathan Rourke threw 59 touchdowns, won a state championship in Alabama, and the only legitimate school that gave him any serious interest was Fort Scott Community College in Kansas. So yeah. he had to make the decision, guys that I'm just going to be the best quarterback I can be, and I don't really care what anybody else's opinion is. That natural love of the game, the natural love of self-improvement, is something that is so rare, not just in football, but in every profession on earth. It's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about proving a coach wrong or a parent or an old friend. It is just a battle between Nathan Rourke and himself. And the same thing for Joe Burrow. It's just a battle between Joe Burrow and himself. And when you find guys like that and they have any natural talent, keep betting on them. Keep betting on them because they tend to win. And they tend to win a lot. And so I don't know if Nathan Rourke will ever circle around and make it to the NFL, but I know he's going to be the best quarterback that he can possibly be. And we just saw him drop 59 against Edmonton. So I imagine he'll probably do more of the same. And, you know, the same guarantee for Joe Burrow in the NFL. 
And I just think that to see it, to see somebody believe in him at BC, you know, cause I was worried that first year I knew that they, he was a quarterback of the future, but to see the, the, the scheme and everything be revolving around Nathan, I think that's so fantastic. And he's going to do, he's going to do wonders with that opportunity. No doubt we'll aim uh, to keep that work train going. Uh, listen, Lucas, uh, this, this was outstanding. Uh, we appreciate this great insight and, uh, uh, tap of the stick there uh, to Nick for uh, for starting the conversation, and we we look forward to like yourself seeing what Nathan has in store here in uh, in week number three. Uh, thank you very much for doing this, and uh, be sure to keep these lines of communication open. Yeah, I mean, hey, if <laughs> I would love to keep talking to Nathan Rourke whenever you guys uh, allow me to come on, I really appreciate it. Um, it was a ton of fun, and there is a new BC Lions fan in the universe, and it is me. Yeah. Outstanding. Even better. More to come. <laughs> Thanks so much, Thanks, Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. Thanks, guys. First and now, the official Lions podcast. And wow, uh, really fired up by listening to to young Lucas Moore there uh, breaking down the the intricacies of Nathan Rourke's game. That was uh, that was a different and a and a fun segment. Exactly. I knew when we first started talking that uh, the insight he had and the passion he really had for Nathan too and um, what he saw in his football abilities, not even football abilities, his leadership abilities as he uh, proclaimed, um, I knew he'd be a, a fun guest to have on. And it's funny, I, I, since I moved here in January, I've been, I've been seeing like what he was telling me is what I've been seeing in Nathan with how hard he's throwing the ball. Um, I, I noticed Nathan um, working after practice – Oftentimes alone, if he's not throwing, uh, obviously he'd be with a receiver, but oftentimes alone, just running, um, working out after. So um, I share I share the same opinion as Lucas. I think the sky's the limit for uh, for Mr. Rourke. Yeah, uh, and hey, the fact that he's got people in, in Ohio and uh, in the Mid-Atlantic Conference paying attention to Lions football also bodes well for yeah. excitement. Uh, excellent stuff. Thanks again for lining that up, Nick. Uh, anyway, Lions and Argos again Saturday, 7 o'clock. Get your tickets, bclions.com. They're going fast again. And um, battle of 1-0 and teams like we talked about off the top. Uh, this Argos team kind of uh, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, if you <laughs> will, uh, allowing Montreal to drive down the field. Uh, they run the clock down, call the timeout, and um, a shanked field goal attempt in the final second. So Toronto escapes. But I, I think the Argos were full marks for that victory. I think that game was not quite as close as the score indicated. Yeah. Another big storyline there, too, was uh, it was Trevor Harris uh, under yeah. the under center for Montreal for majority of the game. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. got pulled after four passes. So Kahari Jones had no... Uh, had no hesitation in going to his other veteran quarterback. And Montreal really has that luxury, right, with two guys right. who have proven themselves. But it'll be really interesting to see. I haven't seen news yet about Thursday. I I believe it's Trevor Harris now from Montreal. Well, it's funny. I was kind of watching the game, but I was in and out, and I texted you. I said, what what happened to, to VA? What happened? And you're just like, he was pulled. That was yeah. it after that. So, And I have to think, based off what Kahari, Kahari feels, that he has two guys that can – Give him, right. Give it, give his team a chance to win him every night, and whatever one has is feeling it is who he's going to go with at, at this point, right? That's that's what I'm kind of taking from that. Yeah. So hey, at least uh, knock on wood, other teams are going to their backup option already. Uh, thankfully, not here uh, as of yet. Uh, shifting to Friday night last week, the rematch. Hey, I said it. Not big on the week one and two back to backs, but whatever. It's the CFL schedule, so just gotta yeah. just gotta. You know, go with the flow, as they say. Uh, much like the week before, Ottawa put up a hell of an effort, but some red zone issues for the Red Blacks. Uh, credit to the Blue Bombers. We know what they're capable of defensively. They had Jackson Jeffcoat back as well. Uh, Winnipeg, the fact that they're winning these games without having to dominate, that's got to be a scary proposition for the rest of the West, but... Yeah. yeah, that that's the glass half full perspective. If if you uh, if you're in Winnipeg right now, that they really like they obviously have not played their best football throughout two weeks, but they're two and zero on the on the schedule or the standings, which is that that that, that is a scary sight, and I, I'm more of that belief as well because 
Um, we saw briefs or stints of Zach Caleros in the offense putting together some quick, easy drives, especially when it matters. That's always when it comes down to Winnipeg. They just with the since the Caleros era started, is that they they deliver when it matters. And um, we saw it later in the Ottawa game too, and they put a late uh, touchdown drive to with Ricky Dalton shown scoring the yep the only touchdown for the Bombers in that game and. Uh, and the rain as well too. It started really raining pretty hard. Kind of, yeah. Kind of had so. flashbacks. It was raining when we were there last year in week four. I think mm. that was. Ottawa, they had a, they had a few rain so, games last year at TD uh, TD Place. We go to Ottawa next week, so hopefully, hopefully we get a nice uh, summer night in the nation's capital. They're due Thursday. They're yes. Due. Uh, okay. Last week I I was outspoken with the fact that the Hamilton Tiger Cats were my biggest disappointment from week one. Biggest surprise. Are you kidding me? It was, it was hold my beer. They said. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Twenty up twenty four three twenty four like against Calgary. Bo Levi Mitchell's not clearly not on his game. So you figure, okay, okay, this is Hamilton's night all the way. But things tend to happen. Uh, Calgary keeps chipping away, chipping away, and something I'd never seen in my life. Yeah, uh, thirty years plus years watching this league. Hamilton has a third in inches. Uh, they bring out the short yardage team. They're up by seven, and Dane Evans uh, was Dane Evans in right. He, yep. he gets stripped yeah, of the hell of a game. He gets stripped of the ball. Calgary takes it back for uh, a defensive touchdown. All of a sudden, the game's tied. Calgary wins it in overtime. That was a colossal collapse, even by Hamilton Tiger Cat standards. Yeah, a lot of adversity for Hamilton right now. God, I, I, I'm not willing to write them off yet. I still think they have too much talent on their roster, and they showed. They showed in the first half that they can just still steamroll people, but yeah, just uh and a little bit of poetic justice on their part. It was basically the same ending as the Grey Cup, where that it was too, it yeah. was a it was a deflection interception in overtime after the opponent gets the field goal and, and they and lose the, by well, it, it, it was a touchdown in the Grey Cup. But, but the, yeah, you the winning catch. team had thirty three points too. Calgary had yeah. thirty three, Winnipeg wow. had, like just weirdly 30, similar. Yeah, it was a Grey Cup, thirty three twenty five. Yeah, yeah, thirty three thirty. Yeah, and uh, oh my I, god, I, Jameer Thurman again. He he uh, he ended the game. I thought I thought it was a very physical game from what I saw. Like there were there were some big hits. Uh, the the game ending inter- interception too it was Fraser Sopic um, going mm-hmm. underneath on Thomas Erlington to pop it up right into Jameer Thurman's hands and then they have Cameron Judge too he was making a lot of plays uh, in that game so Calgary Calgary's defense um, I, I'm I, they really bounce back in the second half and I think they'll they'll figure it out more as the season goes on so Calgary like Winnipeg and Saskatchewan two and zero Edmonton falling to zero and two and a bit better effort from the Edmonton Elks, but they come up short in their home opener. They lost, uh, of course, all seven home games last year, and uh, they're 0-1 at home to start. As Saskatchewan did everything they could to try and give that game away. So many bad penalties. Mm. Unfortunately, they lose Dan Clark to yeah. a serious injury, but um, like we're talking about with Calgary and Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, maybe not their best effort, but they come away with the win. Yeah, they found a way to get it done. And I'll call a spade a spade here. It, that that game on Saturday made the 59-15 to 15 in week one look a lot better, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Sask is still going to be a force this season. Cody Fajardo, he... Big time. That rollout throw on the on the winning touchdown... That was a yeah. amazing play. Like the and he was hobbling a bit too, mm-hmm. right? He was fighting something. Yeah, he's so. he's been taking a bunch of licks so far this season. So, but you know, we know Cody's gonna. It's gonna take a lot for him to get out of a football game, right? He's he might he might have taken over the Mike Riley crown as being the toughest player in the CFL. Yeah, someone's got to take that torch now, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right, and then uh, as far as week number three, Saskatchewan goes into Montreal. So we'll see if the Alouettes. Uh, you talked a bit about Trevor Harris uh, likely. Well, we think maybe getting the start, but we'll see how the week goes. So that's a tough trip for Saskatchewan, long trip to Montreal. Uh, you have a great cup rematch, Hamilton in Winnipeg on Friday. And then I like this. Uh, it's not just Labor Day, but you get kind of the early rivalry matchup. Calgary hosting Edmonton. We talked about it, the increased divisional play this year. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the West plays each other three times. That's going to make the race even all that more exciting. More chances to pick up wins in the division, but yep. you also get an early look at a future Labor Day Classic. So, can the Elks? They did it last year. They actually went into Calgary and won on Labor Day, and I don't think they won again after that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, that's um, some pretty intriguing matchups here for Week Three. Yeah, I'll drop a cliche with uh, the Calgary Edmonton uh, when they meet throughout the record books. There you go. Yeah. 
That's just you never know. Mm-hmm. Two opponents that that know each other very very well. That was a funny nugget last year. Um, before we we wrap things up on first and now, uh, Calvin McCarty, uh, the pride yes. of North Surrey minor football. I played against him no in, way. In, in community football some twenty five years ago. Gets drafted by Edmonton. Plays a bunch of years. Of course, uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, as they were known, lost like 10 straight Labor Day games, and Calvin McCarty was on the losing end. So McCarty ends up with the Stamps last year and then still loses on Labor Day. The Marion Hosa of the the CFL. There you go. Corey Perry Perry now. Yeah, Corey Perry clearly cursed as uh, we record this on the night Tampa Bay looks to get back into the Stanley Cup final, but... No more hockey talk tonight. Hey, that was great fun. Uh, thanks again to Lucas Moore for joining us. A little bit of an Ohio perspective on Nathan Rourke. Uh, thanks to you, the listener. Thanks to Kurt Appleby sticking around this afternoon, helping put this program to air uh, inside the Wall Center, the Go Goat Sports Studios. I'm at Bakes Takes 84. The podcast is at First and Now. You are at Nick underscore Kowalski yeah, on Twitter. Nick and IK. And Lucas is, uh, it's more, so M O O R E, Lucas. And Lucas is with a K. With so a K. L U K A S. If, uh, if you're looking to follow him on Twitter and get some more, uh, some C- Cincinnati sports coverage now, is, uh, as uh, what he's tackling right now, which is Ohio. Give, uh, yeah, give Lucas a follow. That was some great insights. And, We'll be back in here next week ahead of a trip to Ottawa. First road trip of the year, not counting preseason, of course. It'll take until week four. You ever been to Ottawa? I have, but I've never been inside uh, their stadium. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. It looks beautiful on TV. Look forward to that. Yeah. Yes, so it's weird. We're the last game of the week this week and the first game of the week next week. Yeah, there is in it football. He is Nick Kowalski. I'm Matt Baker, and this has been First and Now, and we'll be back next week.